Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, hello. Welcome to a very special edition of the Gagan Pod as I'm joined by Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwartzer. We go through all the latest transfer deadline day news. Who won, who lost the new Super Frank era at Everton before looking forward to AFCON, old firm derbies and pressure on the Socceroos. But before all that, we're joined by a very special guest, former Matilda Ashley Sykes dives into all the latest Matilda's news. Is it time for Tony Gustafsson to go? All that and plenty more on the Gagan Pod. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to a very special edition of the Gagan Pod. We've got a packed virtual couch here. Joining me as usual, I do have Thomas Sorensen, Michael Bridges, and Mark Schwartzer, but we have a very special guest as well, former Julie Dolan medal winner, 19 caps for the Matildas, and fresh off a cheeky double on the weekend for Canberra, Ashley Sykes. Ash, thanks for joining us. Hey, Claude. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Buzzing to have you on because, of course, you've worn that Matilda's jersey. And while we do have a lot to cover in the episode today, the first thing we have to get to is our national teams. Uh, before we do get there, I'd like to apologise on behalf of Mark Schwarzer, who's just living it up skiing in Austria. And so if his audio sounds a bit dodgy, it's just because, mate, this guy lives the best life possible. Isn't that right, Schwarzer? Um, I've, no, I've got no comment, really. Look at you! Look at you! Jeez, half a meter of snow. Yeah, half a meter of snow. What can you say? You are outrageous. But anyway, he is the most capped soccerer, so I think we had to have him on for this conversation, nonetheless. Ash, I'm going to start with you. There's been, uh, I guess, a lot of headlines to come out of that most recent result. Matildas are out of the Asian Cup. It's it's been labelled the worst performance since joining the Confederation. Uh, a disaster and, and, and panic mode. Is this a bit of an overreaction to this result or are all these headlines justified with what we've just seen? I think if you look at the grand scheme of things of, of what uh, Tony Gustafsson tried to do with the team over the last few years that he's been in charge, um, it's probably, you know, it was always going to be a challenging Asian Cup. But the, I think the thing that's hanging over everyone's head is this World Cup looming in 18 months and that just magnifies the result even further. And add into that his comments beforehand about switching into performance mode and, and putting that added pressure on the team. Um, I think we all started to expect a result from, from this Asian Cup and to not, not come away with something um, is, I think, a bit of a failure. Bit, bit of a failure, yeah. I guess that's, that's how it's been described. I think before the tournament going into it, Ash, everyone was kind of saying it's a, it's a win or fail situation. Like we were expected to take this trophy. Do you think, that's, do you think we overestimate ourselves a little bit in the Asian Confederation when you consider how good Japan have been, how good South Korea looked and all the other de- nations that are developing in the football scene. Did we overestimate a little bit by saying it's it's take home the trophy or it's a failure? I, I personally think so, yeah. I mean, it, we've been focusing so much on developing our squad in general for, for the Matildas and to then come out and say, oh, one month where, you know, we're just working on um, building and now all of a sudden, bam, we're going to win. I think that's a it's a big expectation for the team and, and maybe, you know, we could have set our sights um, a little bit 
lower and a bit more long-term for the World Cup. Um, but at the same time, I think we should still be in the top three of that, that tournament easily. And so not making it past uh, where they have is still a failure. Mm, Schwartz, you've been involved in Asian Cups and World Cups before. And I guess, depending on where it falls in the calendar, can you ever look at an Asian Cup as part of a process or has that got to be an end goal? It's a massive tournament and you have to treat it as its own independent project. Um, you, listen, if you take the Socceroos for an example, um, back in 2014, the World Cup was held as a preparation tournament for the Socceroos to play in the Asian Cup in 2015. Had you have asked me that question before the World Cup, was that even possible? I would have said absolutely never in a million miles, never in your wildest dreams, would you use a World Cup for a preparation for an Asian Cup? So, it's I don't know, it's bizarre, it's beyond me. I, I don't even know how to, how to respond. Um, I think... The Matildas, obviously, there's so many things that come into it. When I think about the Matildas, their rise through the last couple of years to prominence, the media attention around the girls, and rightly so, because a lot of the girls have performed, certainly individually, incredibly well for their clubs around the world and deserve to to have this opportunity. With it, though, comes that extra pressure and expectation. Um, You look now how much the team is under scrutiny because of a bad performance, one bad performance. And it's, I think it's the new norm for the, for the girls. And it's something that they have to get used to. Um, I think there's, I think there's justification in the manager being questioned. I think it's, what is it? Seven wins in 20 games, Um, six and 20. So there are not many, many managers around the world, certainly of teams that are in the top 10 in the world who have that record and still are in their job. So I think you can look at it different ways, many different ways. I know there's a, there's a process, there's a, there's a building of, of, a, of a larger squad, brought, brought in new players, girls that haven't had a lot of experience, but now are gaining valuable, invaluable experience. But ultimately, you still have to perform on the big occasion. The Asian Cup was a big occasion for the team to perform and really start to set the tone. I'm not saying they had to win it, but they certainly needed to get to the very latter stages of the tournament to to say that, okay, there's been a lot of progress and you understand now where the team is heading. I think that there's rightfully big questions being asked now about the direction of the side. Yeah, I, I say, see what you're saying with the managers, but surely some of the, the players have got to be held accountable as well because I thought with the amount of girls that were playing in the around Europe in the major leagues, that would have enhanced the performances on the field as well. And it seems to have been a bit of a hindrance. I don't know why that is, Ash. Can you, can you have an idea of what, what's happened there? Yeah, well, I think Swartzy um, touched on it. It's ultimately one bad performance against South Korea, and I think it was... Some individuals not hitting the heights. You know, Sam Kerr had probably three chances that on any other given day she scores. And I think, you know, we're looking at one performance here which got him knocked out of a tournament, but there's bigger questions that have been lurking in the background for a while now in, in regards to, you know, are, they, are the players playing their best football? Are there some players who are out of form at the moment? And then comes the question of depth behind those top few players. Where is the rest of the depth of the squad? And, you know, if you're having a bad run of form, who, who can come in and perform? And, you know, um, I think that's probably where the bigger question lies. Ash, you know, I just want to ask you, you know, where do you see the Matildas rank in the world? Because when I look at the 20 games they've played, you know, they've 
played a lot of the teams that I would reckon is in the top eight. And 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 what is the realistic target for a World Cup? What, what for you? What is a success at the World Cup? You know, surely that's the 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 end plan. That's where the final judgment will be made. It's is it a quarterfinal? Is it a semifinal? What it, what is it? And where do do the Matildas rank in your in your view? Because that I think you need to take into account. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Um, I think that development for women's football has gone through the roof in a bunch of countries over the last probably, say, four or five years. So, you know, Australia's got a lot of work to do to try and keep up with some of them. You know, all the European leagues are charging ahead. Some of the Asian teams that before, you know, weren't weren't an issue for the Matildas are catching up. Um, So maybe, you know, we've had a sort of a golden run for the past um, decade with some of the squad that we've had and maybe overperforming on the world stage because, you know, these girls are quality players, these Matildas. You know, we've got most of them playing in these top leagues in Europe. Um, but I think ultimately quarterfinals at a World Cup is, is I would say, is a pass mark um, and anything further than that is a, is a bonus. And you'd hope, I think, looking forward to the World Cup in 2023, we get further than that on home soil. Well, that, that's got to be a, that's got to be almost a must, hasn't it, Ash? I mean, the, the other question is as well, and I know it's a hard one to put you on the spot. Do you see the direction of the team right now being the right one, or do you do you also understand, or do you believe that the questions are justifiable about the coach, and do you think he's the right person taking them forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. He's, he's record at the moment for the Matildas. He's, he's come up against some tough sides in these 20 games as well. You know, there's been a baptism of fire for some of the develop, the players c- coming into debut. Uh, I think it's, it's a big picture thing. You know, he's come in to a squad that hasn't had that much development prior to his arrival. So he's almost trying to play a catch up in, in, you know, taking, aside from the starting 11 trying to catch up developing players. You know, there's been a bit of a lack of that in the past few years, so maybe he's going to be the scapegoat for that. Um, But at the same time, I think some of his tactics have to be called into question. You can't get away scot-free with this sort of thing. In particular, I look at the South Korea game where subbed on um, Courtney Vine, who made a big impact off the bench for Claire Wheeler, who was the six. And then took Courtney Vine off again later in the match for um, another forward. For me, that doesn't make sense. I, I think he tried to justify it in the post-match comments, but you know, tactically, I, I wonder what the coach is thinking in that point. I just want to put one out to to Ash, Claude's, and Swartzy. Obviously, me and Thomas have come to Australia and been um, embraced by the the country and the culture here. But for you guys, obviously, that I lived and breathed it for so many years, represented the country and and. I find that it's hard to understand when you've got such a successful manager in Ange Postecoglou who was doing so well with the national team and then you had it with Helen Stajic who's gone and done so wonderful things. I think he's rubbed salt in the wounds when he's gone and done so well with the Philippines as well. Why do we get this massive media witch hunt? And I don't want to open up a can of worms on the Matildas, whatever went on with the culture. I'm not getting involved in that. I don't know from the inner sanctum. But I find it very hard that when you've got so so much success at the top and you've got a, somebody at the top that is leading and winning things that is a witch hunt to get them out and everybody's got this small poppy syndrome thing that's going on. I find it, that's the only thing that really upsets me about this, this country. 
Tough one. Yeah. Fantastic question. That's a fantastic question. Yeah, no, it it is interesting, isn't it, when you look at the the trends of of recent World Cups, both on the men and women's side, and we have sacked a manager within a year of of a World Cup on both sides, and I guess we didn't have the results that we expected from it. We didn't end up performing very well. So do we do that again? Do we now go and and sack a manager again and and hope for the best, Schwartzy? Ange left before the World Cup. He walked out himself. So he, he, was sick of, he was sick of everything that was going on, though, Swartzy. Yeah, but but you know what? You're you're a manager of a national team, right? And you're 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 telling you know you're trying to sell a story, right? So you're trying to sell an idea, a style of play. You've talked about a level that you want to be at at a certain time, and when you don't achieve that, there's there's I, I think or or there's a question as to whether you've achieved it or not. You are rightfully challenged, right? So will always come under scrutiny when results don't go your way particularly. You know, let's be honest, the Socceroos back in, in 2017, 2018 for the qualifiers for the World Cup in 2018, they made it very difficult for themselves. They should have probably qualified. They should have qualified in the group stage. They shouldn't have had to go through the playoff system, right? So it's justifiable for me to say that people can question aspects of a coach. The same, you know, the same goes when you look at, look, Holger Asiak, go back to that. Go back to the the question or the debate or the argument about all the defence about Gustavsson now and about bringing through a new generation. Holger, Holger Osiak lost his job off the back of losing against Brazil six 0 and France six 0 against Brazil. We, I mean, the people don't really know, but the preparation was horrendous. There was very limited time. We didn't have a full squad. We played against a side in Brazil who were had lost three or four games in the course of the last three years before that. So you're always up against it. Then against France, he makes all the chances, all the changes that people wanted, bringing in players on the fringes an opportunity to play. They get beaten six 0 He gets a sack. So I, I think a lot of the times it's about panicking. There's absolute panic involved. There's questioning someone's vision. Someone has a plan, has a vision, and certainly with the Matildas case, they seem a long way off it. They seem a long way off the mark in terms of his vision. Oh, his don't get me wrong, Swartz. I think with Gustavsson at the moment, his record is, is not good enough. There's no doubt about that. What I'm saying is, prior to that, you've got to be careful what you wish for. It's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And that's what I'm saying. But, but, but I'll go back to it. Ange left off his own accord. And yes, he left because in his own, idea, in his own eyes, he, was, he found that it was like a bit of a witch hunt right against him. Every manager who's managed any teams generally goes through various points in their careers where they're going to have it. And, and, they, and, and Ange's not going to be any different. Just because he got all the media together and he had told them the big story about how he wanted to play and he needed time, I thought they gave him a lot of time. I actually thought Ange got – he was immune to criticism far longer than most other national team managers have actually received before him. So then when there was criticism, that's when he didn't like it. So – and that's fine. That's everyone has their own decision. Everyone can make their own decisions on and their own choices. With Alan Sajic, we don't. No one really knows the full extent. And ultimately, was it a witch hunt? Was it not a witch hunt? Did something happen? Did it not? No one really knows. And and that's partly the federation's fault because there's no one. It's not been really announced. No one really knows the full extent of it. So it's hard to say. You know, was it the right thing that that Alan got sacked? Was it not? I, I I can't tell you. I don't think there's many people who can, other than the people who made those decisions ultimately, um, which is a shame because I thought Al, Al, you know Alan Sajid did a fantastic job as well. But if there's more to it, and you'd like to think that the people involved in the decision making had justification in making the decisions that they made, but as it, as it turns out, it doesn't look like they did have a lot of justification. 
Let's go to Ash, who played under Alan. Uh, are you surprised, firstly, by his success with the Philippines, or is there something you would have expected very much so, and, and you do hold him in high regard from your experience playing under him? Yeah, I think it's it's to be expected. He's a quality coach. He's very good at bringing organisation and structure to a team like the Philippines that have, probably haven't had that before. And he also had the um, awareness to go out and recruit a bunch of players from the US who have Philippine heritage to come in and, and, and join the team and add a little bit of athleticism and power to that team and they can probably in- implement the plan that he wanted to. So, you know, I'm not surprised that he's managed to find success with this team um, and, you know, it, it's great to see. It's also great to see a team like this um, make it so far in a tournament. These are, these are the happy stories that come from it. Um, yeah, and I mean the manager – situation you could talk about this all day I think about whether it's best to stay with the devil that you know or or go with someone else and that same thing could be said now with Tony Gustafsson you know what you've got he's told us what his plan is you know if we're gonna if the federation wants to fire him who's gonna come in who's gonna do a job I don't know who's available who would want the job after having you know three managers um not sacked, but three managers in the last um, as many years. Um, you know, if I can just give like a perspective, an outside perspective, because, you know, the FA, FFA has to have a responsibility in this. Obviously, they, they signed up to the plan that was the World Cup next year with Gustafsson, with his vision. You know, so if they are seriously now considering firing him, everything in my mind is that's you know, that's a massive failure on their part. You know, going back six months, they had the best results ever at the Olympics. You know, I watched most of the games. They they took Sweden all the way. They beat England. You know, they drew with Amer- the, the Americans. You know, so, so there you were at the height and you saw obviously all the, you know, the, the, the prospects of what this team can achieve. Then you have this little bump in the road, which... I agree with Yash. They should have won. Had Sam Kerr had an average day, they would have won. So I don't understand this panic. You know, the, the, you know, trust the process, trust what you have signed up to, and then maybe have, you know, have the expectations at a level. Like you said, the European sides, phew, the, the, you know, they're moving ahead at full steam. Be be realistic. You know, you can lose like we saw with, with France at, at the Euros. They lost to Switzerland. Massive failure, obviously, but it can happen in football. You have to trust the long-term goal, which is the World Cup. The only thing I'd say to that, Thomas, is that there's an added incentive and almost a necessity for the, for the Matildas to do well on home soil. When will be the next time that Australia has another opportunity to host a World Cup? So you can understand why people get a little bit twitchy about it because it's not like it's been five games, 10 games. It's been 20 games and there's only been six wins. And yes, the performances at the Olympics were, were good. Um, but my understanding was also there were question marks about Gustavuson leading up to the Asian Cup. And a lot of the, the response was judge him at the Asian Cup because this is now when it counts. And the Asian Cup hasn't worked out like anyone had expected. Certainly not, I don't think, within the side. I think they've believed and thought they should have gone a lot further. Um, I'd like to think they did. I'm sure they do. And certainly from the outside world, everyone, we all thought they would go a long, long way and if not win the title, which is, we all know, you know, 
to, to win it, there's no guarantees for anyone. You know, you still have to do the hard work. You still have to do everything and still have a little bit of luck along the way. But at least get to the semi-final final for me was also seen as, as, as almost a must for the, for the team. Um, so I understand. I think it's right for people to question. And there's enough time to make a change if they thought it was the right time to make the change. Yeah, well, I mean, we can sit here and talk about it all day. The the latest news is that there has been a meeting called between the FA and Gustafsson, so I think we'll watch this space very closely and see what happens. If they are going to make a decision, you'd think better sooner than later, give you the best runway that you can into the World Cup. And we'll be watching the Euros closely on Optus Sport as well. The Women's Euros is a great opportunity for us to see what we'll be up against next year as we, we mentioned that the European game has developed so much. So that'll be an interesting tournament to watch very closely. And can Alan Stajic pull the upset on South Korea on Thursday morning as well. That would be a huge storyline. But Ash, I think we've done a great little dance here for the first 20 minutes of the podcast, but this is now the time for the big calls. I'm going to throw them your way. And it is the first one for you is, do you think under old management, the Matildas would have gone closer to winning the Asian Cup? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. they. Um, I think they would have steeled the side. I think maybe... Um, there would be more confidence in the way they're playing. Yeah, I think um, old, yeah, old management might have gotten them a bit further. Love that. Marcus Schwarzer is the grim reaper of managers because he, every time on this podcast, every week it's a different manager that should be sacked. Ranieri's gone, so it's all good. He's happy. <laughs> I've given my prediction. I was a little bit, you know, I was a little bit out on the timing. Um, but if it hadn't been anyone else, I think he would have been sacked at Walford. You know that. Go on. <laughs> Schwartzy, uh, to make to make it now, to make a big call, would you get rid of Tony Gustafsson right now? I'm going to say yes, because we have some phenomenal players and they're playing some of the best leagues around the world and playing well, but they're not gelling as a team. And mm -hmm. I don't think you're making off-the-cuff decision. You, you, you're making a decent, a pretty good decision based off 20 games and an Asian Cup which we should have been there or thereabouts in winning. So, yeah, mm. it hasn't done enough for me. Yeah, there you go. Two big yeses in our big calls. Ash, one thing I wanted to ask you, playing now, um, you, had, you had a few years off now back playing with Canberra, and I mentioned the double you scored on the weekend. Congrats. It's great to see you scoring goals, playing very well. But I wanted to ask you about the A-League women's, and now you mentioned how European football has developed so much. I had this conversation with Graham Arnold about the A-League men's compared to the European leagues, purely takeaway quality, just purely the amount of games played. Do you think we're shooting ourselves in the foot because our young girls are not getting enough match minutes compared to the European leagues? Definitely. It's strong yes for me. I think if we want to keep up with the rest of the world, we need to be playing more games. If we want to develop players that can go off and play internationally or to develop for the Matildas, they need more quality match minutes at a higher level. And, you know, the length of the season right now is not enough. You know, we're in together for five months, maybe six months. It's just you can't build a, a national team or, you know, a, a serious league on that. And I think it's taken way too long to even, you know, get to this point. Um, it, needs, it needs to have happened, you know, six years ago. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. We always now in the women's game we're becoming like the the Belgium of the men's game. We're ranked high, 
whatever that means. You have a really high ranking, but when you export all your players and, and you don't have a great home base, then it ends up not really in, in the silverware that we'd want. Ash, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And of course, the insight that you give us is something we can't get anywhere else. So we appreciate it massively and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I hope to chat some more. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Gentlemen, transfer deadline day, it's like waking up on Christmas morning and running downstairs and seeing who your club have got. And sometimes it's just sheer disappointment when you get cold. But this year, it's been it's been an interesting one for a few of Michael Bridges' clubs. He's got enough of them to, to have some success. But uh, it's been a great transfer window for a few of them. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to start with you, Thomas. I know we spoke a little bit about this last week. But what a story. It is official. Christian Eriksen is back in the Premier League with Brentford. You probably knew about it before the rest of us. But how good is that to hear? Oh, it's a fantastic story. Uh, I, I'm so happy for, for him and, and, and for his family, obviously, uh, that first of all, he's, he's well. Uh, you know, briefly, when I was in Denmark, I, I spoke to him. Uh, so I knew where his thought process were. I spoke to his, his, uh, his girlfriend and, and, and that she was fully behind, you know, the decision uh, for him to, to sort of get back to football. So, you know, that... He's now with Brentford. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for him. Um, he's officially said that he wants to be at the World Cup, so he needs to be at, at a higher level. And I think um, with Thomas Frank um, at Brentford, um, I think he's sort of, you know, he's not at a big, big club. He's at a, at a club where he'll, he'll get plenty of minutes. Uh, he'll be able to, to show his, his ability. And I think Brentford will, you know, will, you know, be a lot better team with, with him in it. Um, uh, you know that cre- cre- creative uh, creativity they bring some midfield. So you know, I, yeah, fantastic story. Uh, so happy for him uh, as a friend, and uh, you know, for for Denmark as well. If we have a chance to have him uh, in Qatar in a couple of in six seven months' time, would be fantastic. Huge. He does bring that quality, no doubt. And so we'd love to see him at the World Cup. Bridgie, let's talk a little bit about Newcastle, who have broken the bank. I think at one point in deadline day, it's not completely finished yet, but at one point they'd spent more than every other Premier League club. I think that still is the case that they're at number one. Bruno Guimaraes is the most exciting transfer, I think. A huge player, very highly rated player. Um, but they've also announced Matt Target as well this morning. And I still th- I think there's more announcements coming through. What have you made of the move so far? And this is a huge statement of intent, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely massive um you know to get the the player from brighton as well um the center half oh yeah damn that that again that was the key area for me they needed the center half um lascelles did his hamstring and they've just strengthened right the way uh, you know down the core they've got the uh, got the midfielder and they've got the left back from villa it's just been absolutely incredible um what they have done and considering they're over in um saudi arabia at this moment in time I text one of my friends, he's been a journalist up there for many, many years. Transfer deadline has been so boring. He's having the time of his life. He's outside St. James's Park. His phone's going off non-stop and he actually just came out on, on um, Sky Sports News in the UK just saying this is the greatest day of my life and I can't wait to see what happens in the summer. So there's a massive buzz around the city. Newcastle have shown a, a massive state of intent to stay in this division. 
And, you know, I, they, they had to do it because if they didn't and they didn't get these players in, they were, they were potentially and I think definitely going to get relegated. So this is huge. The players will perform. They've got plenty of time. And I believe that Eddie Howe, with his um, style of play and the way that the players have responded to him, he's, he's loved around the training ground um, by the off-the-field staff. And if, you, you know, if they're getting over to the Geordies and you're making them feel at home in their own club, there's a lot of managers have failed up there. Um, with that, they've disregarded the staff. I'm talking about the canteen people, the kit people. Um, they've really embraced them. So the, the feeling is very, very good around St. James's Park in Newcastle at this moment in time. I'm surprised your mate says it's like his best day in his life. Like I thought it was when Alan Shearer returned to the club. What, what, what's wrong with your mate? He's not a proper Geordie, is he? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I, uh, well, possibly. I think he's a little bit younger, Chrissy. Um, he's been a journal there. I don't think he really had the glitz and glamour sports. I think he was a young kid when Shearer signed. But when you're a journalist and you've just gone through absolute drab for 10 years of journalism um, and waiting for things to happen that never did, he's having the time of his life, mate, because he's getting lots of airtime as well. I thought you were going to talk about the bigger news, by the way, Claude. I think you're going to talk about uh, Sunderland sacking their manager, Lee Johnson. I thought that was the bigger one. 6-0 losing against Bolton. Boys, what is happening to your old club? They, are they gonna, and signing Jermaine Defoe. Are they going to bottle it? Are they going to miss out on the playoffs altogether now? It's incredible, Thomas, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, they just tease you. They get you involved. They get you excited. And then they take it all away. That, that, that was, it's been like that for the last Tommy, three or four years. Don't get sucked into Mark Sports. are talking about Division 1 and Sunderland, right? We're talking about transfer deadline. There's bigger yeah. things going on. Yeah, Jermaine Defoe going to Sunderland. Only because Lee Johnson was nah. sacked. Otherwise, it would never have happened. Is that right? <laughs> Let's Who knows? About it. Who Let's knows? Let's forget about it. <laughs> Wow, Schwartzy fishing. Schwartzy, I think it was actually not long ago on the on the podcast we said when we heard that Chris Wood might be leaving Burnley and going to Newcastle, we said if they sell Chris Wood, that could be them done, giving away their main man up top. Now, they've replaced him with Wout Weghorst. You watch a fair bit of Bundesliga, yeah. the Wolfsburg striker. Yeah. On, on his day is a tremendous forward. That's got to be a pretty good pickup for Burnley. Yeah, I, I, I worked on the game last weekend, actually, um, uh, Wolfsburg's game against RB Leipzig and and about Verkhorst uh, played the whole game and I tell you what he looked he looked like not in the game he wasn't in the game at all I mean it was the way it was the way also Wolfsburg played they were they were really poor um, oh he's going to love going to Burnley then because yeah. they play great football the thing is if he played to his strengths right so what 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 Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg were trying to do was hit the ball over the top and get Verkhorst to run onto it he's, he hasn't got the pace. But what he has got, he's he's, very, he's good with the ball at his feet. He's technically he's a, he's a bit like a Peter Crouch esque player, not the quickest, but put the balls in the right area. Get on the end of it. He's a great header of the ball. His goal scoring record at Wolfsburg in the last couple of years has been outstanding. Um, so if they play to his strengths, which well, I think I think Burnley are more than capable of doing so, they've got half a chance. I think. Listen, I think he'll score more goals than Chris Wood has for Burnley. Certainly has the potential to do it. Whether or not he does, but has the potential to score more goals. He will. He score a lot in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, but I think we saw at the Euros. I thought I thought he had to, uh, a couple of good games at the Euros for for the Dutch. Um, you know, provided a little bit of a, a an aerial threat. So yeah, I think he'll suit Burnley. You know, with the the way they cross the ball, I think that that'll that'll be an advantage for him. And and surely the biggest news of the transfer window. Forget all these plays in and out. Who cares? Big Roy is back. That is the biggest news at Watford. And Watford are going to stay up now because Big Roy's back. I'm telling you. 
Believe Roy. me, Roy. Roy is going to keep them up. <laughs> is that and Ray Lewington? I'm telling you, they're going to stay up. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't tell if you're being being legit. Yeah, you're being serious, Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's serious. being legit. He's, okay. he's a big fan of Roy. He's a big fan yeah, of Roy. Yeah, they're yeah. staying up. All righty, there you go. You've heard it here first. That is the. The appointment they needed. Thomas, looking at the transfer window, and it's still going on, but it's been a busy one as far as January go. Who do you think has won the transfer window? Which club has come out the best off? Uh, I think uh, Liverpool have been very shrewd. I think Diaz is a, is a great signing. Um, and it, it, uh, it just adds to what they have. And, and also with the, you know, they just had a, a bit of youth. Um, obviously, Jota came in. I think it's been a great addition. You got Mane, and obviously the contract with with uh, uh, Salah. So I think it it's just you know you you get a player of high quality. He's by far the best player in Portugal, uh, best best player in Colombia, uh, and you know he, he's shown that he can score goals, he can set up things. Uh, he's 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 pressed with which which Klopp actually uh, obviously. Uh, puts a lot of emphasis on. I think he's shown that uh, you know he's great at that as well. So the, it's a bit of money, but for me, it's just made Liverpool you know an even better team um, and and just given them more more you know a bit better squad. So for for me, they they're the winners. Well, the, the latest news from Liverpool as well is that they are currently still meeting with Fabio Carvalho, who's a great young player, 19 years of age, playing for Fulham and pulling the strings for them at the top of the championship. So if they pick him up as well, that's a massive statement from them. No Mane, no Salah at the moment with AFCON, but they're, they're signing these attacking players. And is that going to mount a title challenge, Bridgie? Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, that's a really interesting transfer. They're trying to get it done. Um, in time and probably loan them back to Fulham That's they're trying to get the deal through because Fulham are going on a, a, a promotion push themselves to get back to the Premier League they cannot afford to lose these players and however the player does not want to lose a move to Liverpool um, but there's a lot of other clubs chasing them so that, that remains to be seen will it be done I think it'll be done in the summer no doubt about it so if it doesn't go through at this, this moment in time because he's a cracking player and I think it's the best for, they're trying to get the best for both parties and anything that Liverpool sign I've got to say they're their structure of signing players have been, you know, um, it, it's brilliant the way they, they go about their business. Um, you've seen a lot of players move to other clubs that you fall by the wayside. Liverpool know exactly what they are all about. Bridgie, as far as teams winning the transfer market goes, what have you made of Tottenham's movement in the last few days? They've now gotten rid of Ndombele and they've brought in the Juventus double, Kulusevski and Bentancur. Are you happy with those movements? I am with Kulusevski, definitely a big, big handful. Like the way he plays, um, a little bit. It, it's nice to see a turnover, a bit of fresh blood. And you know, Indombele's gone out the way. I'm seeing if Newcastle can get um, Deli Ali as well, or see if he can he can get his career back on track and, and lose another one. So yeah, I'm, I'm delighted with what Tottenham have brought in there. Two two great players, um, and like you say. Thanks to uh, Antonio Conte once again. He's he's just producing the goals. I'm reading. I'm reading. They're talking about uh, uh, Deli Ali potentially going to Everton. Talk about him potentially buying him as well. So I've heard it's been happen. done. Have you? There you I've go. heard it's been done. Uh, just literally forty million pounds. I think. Yeah, I think it popped yeah. out in the last hour that he's gone to Everton. Schwartzy, can we just rub a little bit of salt in the wounds of Arsenal fans as well? By the way, what has been going on there? <laughs> They've just lost Aubameyang for a free transfer to Barcelona. Yeah, it makes sense. Like Chambers, it made, Chambers he had work. 18 months left. Chambers has gone to like what is going on? Well, no, it, but, I'd be absolutely devastated. Yeah, but I get the Aubameyang thing, right? Obviously, there's no return. Surely, you want a transfer fee, Swartz? Man, he's got 18 months on his contract. Yeah, but he's earning 250, 300,000, or 350,000 pounds a week. 
They don't want to be stuck with another Oh, mate, please. They don't want to be stuck. That's what they've got at the moment, if they're not careful. So I get... I get, get some, they could have got money for Aubameyang. It's a shambles. Possibly. It's great for Barcelona. Yeah, possibly. It's huge yeah, for... I obviously think that yeah, Arsenal went big on Vlaovic, I think, um, and he obviously chose Juventus. I, th- I think that was the big miss for them. Had they got him, you, they would have gotten a young player, uh, a great striker that fits in with the youth they have. Uh, I think that's probably the big disappointment that he went to Juventus and not Arsenal. They'll be scratching their heads yeah, and thinking, what's going on? I mean, I think it it's, it's makes sense for the player. If you're a player playing in the Serie A and Juventus come knocking, you're not gonna, I don't think you're going to look at Arsenal. You know, it's the same as if you're playing in the Bundesliga, yeah, yeah. Bayern come, or you're playing in Spain and Real Madrid come. It's, it's, it's an easy answer. Uh, how far are Juventus as a shout for winning this transfer window? Because they've picked up Dusan Vlaovic. They've also picked up Zakaria, the, the Swiss midfielder who's highly rated as well from he's Gladbach. A good yeah, Happy he's with a good those, those pickups? I think, he's a, I think he's a great signing. Uh, when they talk about Zachariah potentially going to Man United, I thought, listen, that's a brilliant signing if that if that were going to happen. And obviously, you saw the connection with Ranić, his German connection. You thought, yeah, there's a big chance that that may actually happen. Um, yeah, I think he's a big miss. I think he's a big miss for... I thought he would have been perfect in the Premier League. Uh, so, it's a huge signing for, for Juve. Let's see where Juve are next season. If there's, I mean, isn't there still an investigation going on about some of the, the dealings that have gone on at the club? That'll be interesting. Why are they not in Syria? Yeah. Schwartz, it's who, Italian football. It's Italian football. Schwartz, <laughs> who's lost the transfer window? I, I wanted to say, see, I wanted to jump in on who's won it, and I think Here Watford have won it, bringing Roy again. <laughs> 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 who's lost it? Um, I mean, listen, I, I, for once, I'm going to have to agree with probably Bridgie. I mean, Arsenal have had a bit of a stinker, haven't they? Um, it just kind of hasn't worked out for them. Um, yeah, I think Arsenal. I'm going to say Arsenal. And just, just as you've said that, I'm keeping up on the news and everyone's looking, because of the Aubameyang move, everyone's looking at where Usman Dembele will end up because the club was quite public saying he has to leave this month. We don't want him here anymore. And what I've just read is that uh, we understand Usman Dembele has no interest in joining Arsenal on deadline day. So he's trying to he's, he's trying to push a different move. The word is that he's trying to push a move over to PSG. That's um, what I heard, yeah. That's what yeah. I, I heard he was linked heavily with PSG and there was a... I mean, there was talk out of Spain, and he actually he was agreeing. He'd already agreed to go to PSG. Mm. Yeah, and Swartzy Mateta makes permanent move to Palace. There you go. A four and a half year deal, just breaking now. There you go. Even though when this goes out, it'll already be done and dusted. But yeah, another there you good go. one. Thomas Absolutely. Everton. We've got to talk about Everton because I think they've moved a lot in the last few days. Frank Lampard. We saw the graffiti outside Goodison Park last week. They the fans made it known that they wanted. Frank Lampard as their manager. He's come in. Donny van der Beek is one signing. Deli Alli is another signing. There's an interesting trend on these players that wanted away from, I guess, bigger clubs. Frank Lampard, what have you made of that appointment and how do you see the rest of their season panning out? You know, I think it's a good appointment. Uh, I think, first of all, I think it's important to, to get the fans on board. Um, you know, you've you got to get that unrest out. Um, so, so you're obviously satisfying... You know their expectations uh, compared to the Benitez uh, signing uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, then, then you know he, he obviously had his, his troubles at, at, at Chelsea, but I think probably the uh, the job at, at Everton will suit him suit him better. I think uh, the squad they have it, it's it's another chance to to try to put his stamp on it, and and he's obviously done that. You know, with his name, I think that's the positive you can attract. Like we've seen with Gerard at Villa, you know, some of these players will come because he's there. Um, and and probably Van der Beek, uh, Deli Ali, 
you know, his, his players because he definitely needs to strengthen the, the midfield because I think that's where the, you know, the core is, is out now, I think, for, for three or four weeks uh, with, with a groin injury. You know, so they've got a massive struggle there. So these two players will, will definitely help him, but he's still got a, a big job on his hand. Uh, and, and is he the right person? You know, you can only hope so. I tell you what, defining moment, right? Big moment for Dali Ali. You know, big move. Mm. Paid a lot of money for him, for a guy that's been a million miles off the mark for the last couple of years now. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big moment for him in his career and see how far he'll go. And Bridgie, now I think we're talking we're talking deadline day stories. We we do love it, but I was wondering for you guys that have that have experienced so many years at the highest level over there in Europe and in England, particularly. Do you have any deadline day stories? I don't know. I didn't do my research enough. Have you been involved in a deadline day transfer or anyone that you you played with has been involved in one? Tommy's put his hand up. Were you a deadline day signing, Tommy? Not a signing. I had an absolute shocker uh, when I was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I was at uh, at Aston Villa in 2008, uh, I was on the fringe. I was frozen out by Martin O'Neill. Uh, had played some good games for the national team. So I had a chance in January to go to Tottenham. Uh, we, we were on deadline day, 10 o'clock. Martin O'Neill wouldn't let me go. And we managed to structure a deal where he could get compensation. If, if And he could recall me because it was an initial six months loan to Tottenham with an option to buy. Mm -hmm. And I was desperate to go, obviously, to get game time, massive opportunity. Uh, And uh, it was a done deal. Martin O'Neill had agreed it. We were talking to Levy. Uh, My agent was driving down to to Birmingham. I was going to drive during the night to to London to to get a, a medical. And then 10 to 12, David Levy calls us, said Martin O'Neill has called it off. And he hasn't given a reason. He just pulled it out. Um, so, and to add to that story, two, two weeks later, he calls, Martin O'Neill calls me into his office, says, you know what? I've got you an emergency loan to Leicester, who at that time were bottom of the championship. Uh, and, and, and I said to him, you know what? Stick it where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so yeah, that was an absolute shock. A great opportunity for me that he, um, yeah, that he pulled last minute. So yeah. Did, did you ask him why? Uh, I, I, I think it sort of come to light. I, I, th- I didn't think he wanted me to go and, and actually do well. I think it, it would obviously be a bad reflection on, on, on him why, why, on what, why I wasn't playing. So, so I think he just said, you know, keep him here, keep him not playing, and. It makes me look better, and he can go in the summer. So, see, I, I yeah, like sadly. Martin Neal. I like Martin. Neal. I played golf with him a couple of months ago. I think he's a really nice guy. Different opinions, Mark Swartz. Different opinions. Different experiences. That's why we love football. <laughs> different experiences, more importantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Claude's, Claude's I got to move from Carlisle United in Division Two back to the Championship at quarter to midnight um, from Hull City. So I'd gone, obviously had a lot of injuries, went down the divisions to play and get the love of the game back and actually did, you know, I was doing very well with Carlisle United and there was a bid from Hull City in the Championship through a guy called Adam Pearson who had actually been at Leeds United previously as one of the directors, he was working there and a bid had come in for 200,000 on the, the afternoon and Carlisle had turned it down so I, you know, I was excited but I wasn't getting too excited because I was enjoying where I actually was and it came to about 6.30 at night. I'm walking the dog with the wife in a place called Tymouth in Whitley Bay in the northeast. And the phone call came through from Carlisle United and literally said, you need to make your way to Hull. 
we've accepted a bid for 350,000. We need to get it done before midnight. And I was like, what? Have I got, what, what the hell's going on? So literally, me and the wife jumped in the car. I went and got to grab myself um, some clothes, drove down there, got there at 11, and the paperwork got through at 11.45, and um, it just got done. So, so it really is as last minute as it sounds. It was like, last yeah. minute, and I genuinely only found out that day that there was a, an interest from a club. Uh, and it, it, normally, you've got an, normally you get an inkling. I mean, when I moved to... To, to Leeds United or I was going to go to Tottenham Hotspur from Sunderland I knew a couple of weeks in advance that there was murmurings going on and you you know you find out but that was literally popped out the blue in the afternoon bang so I was one of them deadline day I would what do you call it when they take a gamble mm. you know they, they, have a, they have a punt and it actually backfired for because I was absolutely crap <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you injured? No, I wasn't actually sports. Oh, no, the, the manager. Normally I would be, but it was, it, it was things happen for a reason. But obviously we had Phil Parkinson signed me and another five players. And six games in, he got sacked and Phil Brown came in. And I, me and Phil Brown didn't see eye to eye and the rest is history. But then, then we got you in Australia. So, you know, it all works out for a reason. Schwartz, were you involved in any deadline day dramas? Um-ish uh, sort of thing. When I was at uh, Fulham 2010... Um, Actually, a couple of days before the World Cup, Roy Roy uh, Roy calls me and says that um, the Arsenal have made a bid for me, and would I like you know would, would I be interested? And I said, yeah, of course, Roy. It's, it's the Arsenal, of course I would. You know, at that stage in my career, never thought I had a chance playing Champions League football. And at that time, they were still playing Champions League football because that's not what Arsenal do these days. Um, <laughs> anyway, and <laughs> and. And he goes, all right, all right, we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make sure it happens. Anyway, two weeks later, Roy Roy leaves and goes to Liverpool. And the whole thing's thrown up in the air because we haven't got a manager. Two weeks before the start of the season, we appoint uh, Mark Hughes. And my first conversation is going in the office going, hi, Gaffer, nice to meet you. Um, I want to leave. And he's like, well, what are you, what are you, you know, I said, you sure must know that, you know, Arsenal have been interested in me and I want to go. And he went like, well, you know, we haven't got an official bid from them and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, Long story short, come deadline day, it was about we we train in the morning. It was about eleven thirty, sorry, about one thirty two two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm back at home sitting there because I didn't have I wasn't in the mood to do anything else other than train go home. And uh, Sky live on Sky, they're outside Fulham, Fulham's training ground, and they stop Mark Hughes and Mark Hughes. Go, they ask him, so any more? You know what's happening today? Any transfer dealings happening today? No, that's it. No one's leaving. No one's coming in. We're done for the day. And, that's, and I'm sitting there watching on TV going, I, like, my, 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 my jaw just dropped. And I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank God for Sky Sports uh, News. That that's how I realized that was it. I ran my agent, so I go, what the hell's going on? And he goes, listen, I'm still trying, but no, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Wow. So it's, uh, it's amazing. I've heard so many stories of players finding out via the news. They, they don't even get told. They, they flick on the telly and then they see that they're going somewhere. It takes me back to stories of Harry Redknapp when they talk to Harry Redknapp about how he tried to force <laughs> some players out. Like, Benjani, well, yeah, he's yeah. Trying, to, trying to see him out the door on deadline day going. Um, it, is, it is crazy how, you know, you guys are such, such good professional athletes. But I guess on that day, sometimes it's just, just treated like a commodity. You're a piece yeah. of meat at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, it's unbelievable, really. But you know what? I'm glad you said that, Bridget because that whole concept of, of, I guess, being treated at times like a piece of meat, there's been a great news coming out of the Premier League with Crystal Palace and their newest initiative, which is that player support program. When an academy player is released from the club, they'll be supported for three years to help them 
either find a new avenue via football or potentially education, work, all the rest. So they'll keep uh, in touch with a player and keep working with them for three years after releasing them. Have you ever heard of anything like this in your playing days and how big of a step is this for football? I think it's brilliant. Um, I, I Obviously, I didn't come across it in any, any part or form of my career. Um, I did, however, when I left, you know, I'm, I'm playing Champions League football with Leeds United and I've gone to St James's Park with Bobby Robson, so Bobby Robson for six months and then after that I went to Bolton Wanderers and I saw Bolton Wanderers had the first ever couple of player li- liaison officers that would help the families settle in and there was a couple of translators working there as well. Um, so I could see Sam had kind of started that whole evolution of the, the new new kind of breeding, you know, now it's it's every day in some of them football clubs. I think Man City have about ten translators working for them and, and people like that inside the club. But to actually have this for players that are getting released out of the game and they don't have agents or agencies that look after them in the right way because you know a lot of agencies have got to take on board the responsibilities when they sign a player that they're not going to be with that club. They need to mentor them and look after them. And I know there's been a tragic story from Manchester City where there's been a, a boy commit suicide um, in, in last year, which, you know, the fall from grace have been released. Some can't handle it in the way that they need to do it. So Crystal Palace, a huge, huge tick for them. And I think there's got to be a number of clubs should follow suit that have got the money and the capability to do it. Yeah, and, and I think what people need to understand is that like, these young kids from, from a very early age, to get to any sort of level, has to have to have, especially in the UK, total dedication. And I know the academies, uh, you know, it's obviously four or five years ago since I left Stoke, but I, I know the young, the young players there that went through the academy, they did have a bit of education. There, there was, I think, a couple of mornings where they, where they had, uh, obviously, schoolwork, but the, it wasn't the focus. So, so they don't really come out with any sort of education compared to other kids. And then when the... the you know, when they're told the realities of actually you won't really have a career, the, the chances of you having a, a, a good career that's going to pay you well, it's not great. It is a carpet that's ripped under, like from under a lot of these kids. And, and I think it's a great initiative. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of young kids, uh, just goalkeepers, uh, you know, that, that I've trained with, young keepers that, you know, don't get given any contract, just leaves you know, have to sort of fight the lower leagues, try to, to make a living, and it's tough. Um, so so I, I think this guidance, especially with education and all that, it's so important. A great, great so you know, Another thing, Tommy, that's very hard for them to go through the process, the, the silver service that you get at these academies, when you're at the top elite academies and everything's done for you. You know, gone are the days when we used to clean football boots and have to clean the dressing rooms and the toilets and... And it was, it was like that, you know, they've got companies in that do that for them now. I know that some of the lower clubs um, in Division 2 and non-league still still have that kind of process. And what, what these players find when they get released from a Manchester City or a Manchester United that they go to learn their trade at lower divisions to get game time. And they find out that sometimes they've got to clean their own kit. And the facilities aren't up to the expectations that they've been useful, used to. It's a huge ego trip. And to, to find that balance, to be able to come to the level of reality of where your football is at, some have found it very, very hard to embrace it because they've still had, they've still got the Louis Vuitton wash bags when they walk into these lower division football clubs. They're going in the M3 cars because they've had big wages. And there was a guy who's an Oxford, he's Oxford manager at the moment, Carl Robinson. He said, I find it very hard to take, I want to give these kids opportunities and get them playing football, but I find it very hard to get some of them in that 
that will embrace our culture and the level that we are at when they've come from these elite academies where they've had everything done for them. So, again, this transition period to get education behind that could be invaluable for them. Yeah, listen, I think it's an. I actually think it's absolutely uh, amazing that a club like Crystal Palace, um, you know, listen, not the most glamorous, not the biggest, um, not the biggest budgets, but they have one of the. They're the first to take on an initiative like this. It's a long time coming. Look, we all know as players who have had pretty decent careers playing football, what it's like the minute when you move out of a club, when the minute you finish playing, you know, if you're in a WhatsApp group, you normally get kicked out of the WhatsApp group straight away. You know, you, you, you lose contact with people at the clubs. You know, everything just shuts off from one day to the next almost, right? There's a few people you have still a, a relationship with. So, And it's hard enough for players who have had a career to then go from one day to the next not playing anymore let alone for these kids who their dreams are basically quashed. So absolutely amazing for Crystal Palace. I think it's absolutely amazing that they're the first club to do it. Long time coming, but has to start somewhere. And I think now it's something that the, the Premier League, the PFA, everyone should get on board and say, listen, this is a necessity. This is something that must happen. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Huge, huge movement there, and let's hope it, it. Let's hope we really see the results of this in years to come. And academy players that go on to maybe do something in football, maybe do something outside of football. It's been a good week for that off-field stuff over there in England. With the FA also announcing that they've brought in uh, compulsory. Every club needs to have maternity leave and long-term sickness leave for the female players as well. So it's been a great move forward for football in the UK, and we want to see a lot more of it. Now it's time to look forward, guys. As we get towards the end of our episode, we're going to look at what's coming up this week. A lot of them international games. I'm going to go around to you three. Firstly, I'll start with you, Tommy. Thursday morning, we've got an old firm derby Celtic take on Rangers, who, by the way, Rangers just announced Aaron Ramsey as their latest signing, who's finally out of Juventus and that incredible salary that he was on. Unbelievable. Um, He's now at Rangers. It's a massive game for Ange. A win here would put him top of the Scottish Premiership. What are you expecting? No, I think it's back to where the old firm was in the past. I think, you know, obviously... Rangers dropped that 3-3, three, three, um, you know, uh, you know, last week, uh, and it's made this game even more interesting. Now, actually, Celtic can overtake Rangers, yeah. Uh, and I think it's a great job that Ange has done there. Um, I think uh, Bronkhorst, uh, I think, has made a really good signing uh, with Aaron Ramsey. I think we saw with Sam Davis that that went from um, Aston Villa. You know, was a sort of a fringe player, but went up and had a, a fantastic career at Rangers. And I think Ramsey, you know, at that level, will be a fantastic asset for 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 Rangers as well. So I think it's just put a bit of spice, uh, even more spice, into to this game. Um, so yeah, I can't, can't wait for it. Claude, we talked about the other day on, on the highlight show. The good thing about this, the restrictions have been eased in Scotland as well. It will be a full house. And you know, not not no fans or not five hundred fans. This is going to be a full house. What an atmosphere! I can't wait to watch it, and I'm wishing Ange all the best um, to to get the results. Yeah, what a moment! And his new signings have come in and done very well. So a great stage for them to really make their mark in a Celtic jersey. Bridgie, I'm going to go to the Afcon with you. Semi-finals: we've got Senegal, Burkina Faso, Egypt, and of course the host Cameroon all in there. Who's your tip to go on and win the whole thing? My tip is I would love to actually see. Mo Salah or Mane do something uh, for the Liverpool fans and because of what they've done for the Premier League but Cameroon I've absolutely loved watching them Um, and I think the uh, yeah there's just something about Cameroon I remember my first childhood experience watching and why I became a a favourite they were probably my favourite African nations team is you know Roger Miller 
when he used to do his dance and they beat Argentina and you know it was it was just incredible to to witness. So they've uh, they've they're the ones that I'm following and I'll be I'll be cheering them on all the way, mate. Yeah, hey, I, mate. All I can say all I can say is the no sleeve jerseys, mate. That, that's all you need to say. <laughs> yes, remember them the little tank tops, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Bring those back. Schwartz's mate Samietto in charge of the FA there as well, and they've got the two top scorers of the competition as well. Eleven goals between them: Carl Toko Akambi and Vincent Abubakar. So they've been playing some great football, very attacking. Would love to see it at home. The scenes would be huge. Schwartzy, we also have Asian qualifiers happening tonight and into tomorrow morning. Australia taking on Oman. I think I know what we all expect from that game, what we all want from that game. It, it won't be easy. But I wanted to ask you about tonight's game. Saudi Arabia played Japan, and they're the two teams ahead of us. What is an ideal result for the Socceroos here? What is an ideal result? Um, well, I think one of the teams winning. A draw is not okay. particularly great. I think one of the two winning. Um, it's going to be interesting because Saudi Arabia in the past, they've found it difficult to deal with the pressure when they're at the top there and, and comes in the nitty-gritty of, 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 of the games and, and a must-win situation. However, so far in this qualifying series, they've been very, very good and deserve to be where they are. Um, so, yeah, big moment. I mean, listen, if Saudi, you know, if Saudi can beat Japan, they're, mm. they're, they're there, aren't they? They're, they're just about there into, that, uh, into the World Cup. And, and, yeah, it's really exciting. Actually, it's really exciting at this stage of the, of, of the qualifiers. It's brilliant. Do you not think? Do you not think, Swartz, you you would want Saudi Arabia to win this? Uh, Because then, obviously, you have you have that away game. You have Japan, you know, in Sydney. So hopefully, they have qualified. You go to Saudi Arabia in the last one, uh, and and you can hopefully maybe get an easier game. Um, Would that not be? uh, You know what scenario? Um, Listen, when when I, I I would always like when I when I was playing. Fancy myself to, to, especially on home soil, I, I fancy ourselves to beat anyone, right? So Japan was always a tough, tough opponent. And I think Japan back then were a better side than they are currently right at this moment in time. Um, I always fancy going to Saudi. We played in Saudi in Daman and beat them 3-1 and played really, really well when when uh, Frank Rijkaard was the manager of, of Saudi Arabia. So I, I also fancy myself to go to, we fancy ourselves to go to Saudi and win. Um, obviously, it's a different squad, a different team. Um, but I'd like to think that the Socceroos are more than capable of going to Saudi Arabia and winning the game. So I, I would look at, I'd almost be thinking, I don't really care because in my head, I'm thinking we've got to win our last three games and that, that's all that matters. Do you think if you had to call one, which which is the game which we are more likely to win? If you were if you were a betting man, would you say Japan at home or Saudi Arabia away? Uh, I suppose on current form, you'd probably fancy ourselves more against Japan at home. Than playing Saudi away, um, okay. yeah, I, I think that's how it would be at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is Saudi on nineteen, Japan on fifteen, Australia on fourteen, and we're going to have a whole different picture tomorrow morning once all these teams play. Guys, it has been a jam-packed episode. We've covered a lot here, but I want to finish with a, a bit of a Michael Bridges achievement. The big fella hitting a hole in one over two hundred meters. Congratulations to him. He's, he's showed us his signed golf balls this morning. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Bridges, is that your best non-footballing achievement? Brilliant question. Yes and no, because the hole in one, so, um, you know, but there's three of them, so I've got the hat trick of hole in one. So there you go, they're all signed, they're all done, right? I talked about on this episode the move from Carlisle to Hull City, right? My greatest achievement at Hull City, because I wasn't playing on a Phil Brown, we had a lovely canteen with a pool table and a dartboard, and I won the Hull Darts Champion 
and I got myself a 180, and the lads gave me a trophy. It's the only trophy I won at home. <laughs> so I've had a 180 in darts, I've had a hole in one in golf. I want, I just give us something else I can go and have a go at and try and try and do. See? Apart from like triathlon or swimming, because I can't swim. So you obviously you had a lot of lot of time to practice playing darts anyway. Cause that's, that's what yeah. I swore to. You. I played darts nonstop, and the lads, well, obviously. Um, Nick Bomb, Nick Bomb, he was like, "Do you ever leave this canteen?" I said, "Yeah, I do. I go and get treatment as well for the physio." <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. He's a jack of all trades. Schwartzy, Tommy, you guys got any off-field just hidden talents that no one knows about, non-football related? Yeah, they're going to stay not known. (laughs) 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 I I must say, like, mine, mine, uh, you know, and and something I'm I'm very proud of was, uh, you know, after I finished in England, uh, I cycled with my wife across America. Uh, wow. That is probably my my biggest achievement uh, and greatest experience. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I'll keep that instead of the three hole in ones. Even though I'm I'm still trying, Bridgie. Uh, I've tried. <laughs> I've been close, but you know, hopefully one day, mate. Hopefully one day, Th- I'll get. Thomas, there. see the difference is you'll never get a hole in one, and I will never cycle across America. <laughs> so, so, Thomas, how, so I'm happy. How many how many k's was that, and how long did it take you? You know, so we cycled over, so it took us uh, 46 days of cycling, and it was uh, 6,000 kilometers. Wow. That's and did you do so, it consecutive uh, days? Yeah, so we, we had six rest days, so it took us, uh, yeah, 52, 52 days in total. So we had uh, sort of every week we had one day off, and then we continued. So oh, wow, yeah. my next question, how sore was your ass by the end of it? <laughs> you know what? It's the first 10 days that kills you. When you, when, you get, when you get past the first 10 days, you're good. You know, you don't feel it anymore. So, Tommy, I do 45-minute spin class, and that, I get off there, and it kills me, man. <laughs> That's huge. Brilliant achievement. And Schwartzy, at the moment, is up in Austria, hitting the slopes. you fancy yourself as a skier, Schwartz? Um, okay, mate. Considering I only started skiing in 2016, and no, I, I fancy myself. It's pretty decent, actually. I'm, 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 I'm happy with where I am, the, the ability I've got to ski. I I can go down every slope, no problems. Maybe not pretty at times, but generally pretty good. Don't fall over very often these days. And I do a bit of off-piece skiing as well. So, yeah, no, I love my skiing. Brilliant. He actually makes some money over there as well because the the Austrian national um, ski jumping team actually pay him so they can use his nose to practice their jumps off it. Wow, there we go. Yes. Boda, we finish on that one. (laughs) They wheel you in for the tournament because it's bigger. <laughs> I, had to, I had to figure out where you were going with that one. It got there at the end, though. Brilliant, brilliant, fantastic, lads! Uh, what an episode it was on the Gagan Pod. Covered absolutely everything from Schwartz's nose to the Matildas to the latest in transfer deadline day. Those news stories are still coming through, and you can catch all the latest on the Optus Sport app. Guys, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next week. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns